BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Breaking Beauty, the podcast all about the breakthrough people, products, and moments in beauty. We're your hosts, Jill Dunn and Carlene Higgins. Hey, Breaking Beauty fam. Happy 2021. Hey, Carlene. Woo, 2021. Hi, Jill. How are you? I'm good. Did you have a good holiday? I did. You know, I don't know where I would be without eggnog. I really don't. Oh. <laughs> um, it sort of uh, got me through. It's like a warm hug in your belly, a spicy one. Yep. Yep. Love it. So that was awesome. You know, the kids were more excited than ever about Christmas this year. Like I was just thinking Ines would be getting to an age where she'd be getting over it. But it's like that run on Christmas trees. You know how they ran out of them? Yeah. And- I think everybody doubled down on holiday magic oh, this year. Oh, heck yeah. 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 And it was really needed. Yes, absolutely. But I'm back and I'm ready, ready for a reset. How about you? Yes, absolutely. Could not agree more. And so we wanted to start 2021 out on the right foot. And our guest is the exact right person to do this. Mm -hmm. Today, we're chatting with the Jonathan Van Ness, the resident grooming expert on Queer Eye and the newly minted global self-care ambassador for Biosance. He's also an Emmy-nominated television personality, a New York Times bestselling author, and podcast host of Getting Curious with Jonathan Van Nest and hairstylist, of course. Can't forget that. And some late-breaking news, Jonathan actually revealed on his Instagram that he got married this past summer to who he calls his best friend and loving partner, Mark Peacock. And apparently, they kept it really hush-hush. They got married in their backyard in Austin with people attending via FaceTime. So he kept that news under his hat during our chat, but we just wanted to pass along our congratulations to the happy couple. And I'm a huge fan of Jonathan. Like what I would have done to catch him live for his comedy tour pre-pandemic, of course. You just feel so good when you're in Jonathan's presence, like watching him on TV. He just exudes positive energy. And, you know, we talk a lot on our show about the products and all the things that we can do to take care of ourselves and make ourselves look great on the outside and feel like we can present ourselves to the world. But we don't often give a lot of airtime to building confidence in that feeling from the inside out, right? That's right. So that's what we're going to be doing today with Jonathan. And he's really 
come so far on his own adventure being this fully realized like he's like a walking rainbow to me and we're going to touch on that in our chat you know he was he's been out sort of all his life from a young age he was the first male cheerleader at his high school in Illinois when he learned of his HIV status he came out with that as well to try to help with that stigma so I feel like he's just such a brave person I love to be able to chat with him about how to you know conjure that when you're facing the world. Absolutely. You know, and he mentions in this interview a lot his book, which we want to give a little shout out to. It's called Over the Top, A Raw Journey to Self-Love. And that's, of course, now a New York Times bestseller. And didn't get to talk to him about this, but he does also have a children's picture book called Peanut Goes for the Gold. That's about a gender non-binary guinea pig who does everything with their own personal flair. Yeah, and he's a huge advocate as well. That definitely comes through in our chat. He's continually supporting the LGBTQ community and groups like the Trevor Project on the long-lasting effects of bullying and how to overcome it. You know, and I think we can all use a little shot in the arm when it comes to confidence and especially after coming off such a rough year in 2020. So I think this is definitely the MO of our chat today to just sort of feel a little bit better mm-hmm. going into the new year. Mm-hmm. So we're going to get a restart. His best tips for that, some ABCs and one, two, threes of self-care. So let's get into it. Here he is, Jonathan Van Ness. <laughs> Hello, Jonathan. So I'm a huge fan of Queer Eye and of yours personally, because, you know, you're radiating joy all over the place, whether it's watching you learn to figure skate on IG or your daily morning coffee boogie. I really just love all of your content Um, and virtually officiating a wedding. That was also very cool during quarantine. That was so much fun. So cool. So (laughs) we're really honored to have you on Breaking Beauty podcast. Tell us from your perspective, like what is self-confidence? What does it look like and why is it important to pay attention to? Well, that's a really good question. I think for me, self-confidence is so important because, well, confidence is like one of the central tenets of like self, of like being a centered self. And what that means is in the therapy that I've done so much of is like, we want to be self-led. Like my idea of being self-led is like the person that like, even if I'm late or things have kind of gone awry, like I can still be calm and I'm not reactive. I'm not irritated you know, your centered self is very like calm, clear, compassionate, courageous. It's like really like the best version of yourself. And so confidence is a, is a part of that. And so when you feel confident, that's like a really good indicator for me. When I feel confident, it's a really good indicator for me that I'm in my centered self. I'm, I'm not in my, in a people pleasing part of my personality. I'm not in a irritated part of my personality. I'm not in like a overly work mode part of my personality. I'm like, you know, self-led. And so Eckhart Tolle talks about that. There's like a lot of you know, people and spiritual leaders and spiritual thinkers who think, who talk about like being self-led. So confidence is such a big piece of that. But I think the thing that people miss the most often about confidence is, and I know that for myself, I did too, is that you can be confident and you can have a part of you that feels really confident about something, but then also really insecure about something else. And they can happen at the same time. Mm -hmm. So there's parts of me that feel confident, but then there's other parts that you know, are insecure about certain things. And so the trick is, is what part of yourself can you identify with? Can you hear from that part that might want to change something or maybe doesn't like something about yourself and say, look, I hear you. 
Like, I get it. I understand why you might feel like that kind of way about yourself. This is like you talking to yourself. But maybe we got those ideas from like society or like something that doesn't really feel organic to us. So like, while I hear what you're saying, I need you to just like get in the backseat because actually centered self is here. And we're just not going to be like berating ourselves today about that like expectation of beauty that we, that, you know, that part of me has for how I'm supposed to look today. I'm going to kind of try to more identify with this part of myself that does feel confidence about, you know, my heart, my essence, what I do for my friends, what I do for my family, or feels like super confident about my face. Cause I have, I will say this, maybe I am maybe overly confident, but my face is like one thing I've never been self-conscious about. Like mm-hmm. I've always thought I have like a really pretty face. Mm-hmm. Like I've like thought there's well, like do. other parts that, I like my face. I've always been like work, but there's other. So I always like, so it's like, find something that you feel confident. It doesn't have to be a physical thing. It can be a piece of who you are. And then just try to identify with that because I don't think there's anyone who feels like completely confident about everything all the time. Every single thing. Yeah. I read in your bio that from a really young age, like forever you were out. And I, and I think about back then, like what gave you the confidence to express your authentic self? even from a young age. I say in the, in Queer Eye in an episode, something like, you know, there really was like, I couldn't really be in a closet if you had like eyes and ears. Like if you were in my presence, you were very much like, okay. Like, I mean, I, I was fully fluent in Nancy Kerrigan, Christy Yamaguchi, Oksana Bayul, geodes, <laughs> uh, zodiac signs. Um, I also knew about everything about the electoral college and the presidential election of 1992. And I really wanted to talk about, I, I thought Ross Perot was, well, actually, when I say I understood, I understood like the words. I didn't understand the politics, obviously, because I was five. I was really engaged in the world around me and also just extremely feminine. And I wanted to wear tights and I wanted to wear off the shoulder things. And I wanted to like run up to my dad's best friends and like push them and then run away and be like, <laughs> like I mean, I was just, I mean, I'm basically exactly how I am now, but at five. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, as far as coming out of the closet officially and like answering yes to the question of, are you gay? I mean, I was getting asked mm-hmm. if I was gay and called gay and like, just, I mean, that was something that was asked of me from such a young age that I think by the time I was like in sixth grade, it was like, yeah, yeah. Like by fifth grade, I already done the whole, like, no, I'm bi. And Pamela Anderson's hot. I watch Baywatch. Like I, <laughs> you know, but really it was David Hasselhoff that I right. couldn't get enough of. He was such a treat right. in the nineties. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Until he started rapping, of course. He started rapping. <laughs> Did I miss a David yeah, Hasselhoff he- rap? I'm pretty sure he was a big rapper in Germany. He had an actual I knew he had a German moment. I didn't know it was because of rapping. Wasn't it rapping? Am I making that up? Okay, I'm going to have to Google it after our call. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to ask you a little bit about your cheerleading career, because I know we did a whole episode about that on Queer Eye. It was so great when you did the makeover and your former teacher or coach. I can't remember which one it was. She's our She was the music department like director. Her name is Kathy Dooley, and I'm obsessed with her. She was amazing on that show. So you were the first male cheerleader at the school, as far as I could tell from that from that episode. And, you know, that couldn't have been easy either. So we want to talk a little bit about just like breaking down barriers and being the first. Like, I feel like that's never easy. And so do you remember, like, can you give us an example of like a difficult moment then or how you dealt with bullying? I mean, it was a really, I mean, growing up in Quincy was 
uh, I talk about it in my book a lot, but it was a really difficult time. It doesn't mean that I didn't have joy and there was some fun times and actually mm-hmm. cheerleading created so much of my fun times and so much of my sense of community and like acceptance and cheer was just like a great thing for me to be able to focus on and put my energy into. I mean, trying out for the squad and, and being the first, I think like maybe there was like yell leaders in Quincy in like the forties or fifties or something. Um, but I definitely was like the first contemporary, like non-female cheerleader. I obviously, I wasn't identifying as non-binary when I was 14 and 15 because I didn't know what it meant. And I wish I would have, but yeah. So I was like the first non-female cheerleader. I was like the first boy cheerleader at the time. I guess that's what you would say. It still feels weird referring to myself as a boy at any point, but Mm -hmm. yeah. So it was really difficult, but I also think like I was so obsessed with cheerleading and Amanda Borden from the 1996 Women's Olympic Magnificent Seven U.S. gymnastics team. She, after the Olympics, went on to become a commentator for ESPN cheerleading competitions. And that's how I discovered cheerleading. Like competitive cheerleading was through Amanda Borden and my obsession with gymnastics. And so I just was like, oh my gosh, I want to do that someday. It's so cool. And so then when I tried out for it, it was, this is another thing I talk about in my book a lot. It's like I had tried out for cheerleading as, or excuse me, I had like gone to gymnastics a lot as a kid and ended up like not being able to do it because I had this like just terrible fear of going backwards, like of doing any like backflips. And it really kind of made me question like, you know, my strength and like, if I could do it and I kind of got like bullied out of gymnastics because mm. like all the boys in gymnastics were like these like butch Midwestern boys. And I thought everyone was going to be obsessed with the Magnificent Seven and like want to wear leotards, but that wasn't like they all went to like basketball games, like local basketball games. Right. They like were the halftime show where they would like dunk basketballs like after tumbling. And I was like, oh my God, I thought I was going to get to like put glitter in my hair and like curl my bangs and like, and do, and tumble. Like, I, why do I have to do a basketball? And, but then also like <laughs> I couldn't tumble because I was terrified of going backwards. So I ended up like the boys were really mean to me and then I quit. And then I never learned how to do gymnastics until cheer came along because I couldn't do year round cheer unless I learned how to tumble, which kind of brought back that, like that initial, like, you're not good enough. You you won't be able to learn how to do it because you're too afraid to go backwards. Cause it really was like a huge psychological barrier. I did not think I would mm-hmm. ever be able to get myself to do it. And, um, mm-hmm. I wrote a lot about that in the book. Cause it was, and I think that's actually part of where I probably got confidence from because it was like, really something that it was a skill I did not think I was ever going to be able to learn how to do. It was like a really, a really big barrier that kept me from a group of people that provided me like safety and like a sense of self, which was so important for my teenage self. And so I think accomplishing that and getting that, it, it just made such a big difference to me. And, but yes, there was a lot of difficulty. I mean, did I have beer bottles thrown at me? Like, yeah. Like did like to this day, like if I hear someone say fag, like I, turn around. Like I assume they're talking to me. Like I'm ready to have my fists up. I'm ready to defend myself because I did get pushed downstairs. I did have people throw things at me. I did have things spray painted on my car, my house vandalized a lot of times. And so it was very difficult, but it was also other people got TP'd. I think I was always like trying to like minimalize and explain away like the torture and like abuse that I was going through by like being like, well, other people like, no, like it was, it was really very in retrospect, it was like a lot, but I also think that a lot of those struggles made me who I am. And it also taught me and led me towards a path of healing that I wouldn't have been on had I not gone through those difficult times. You know, if you were to think back, like 
a piece of advice that either someone gave you that sort of gave you the strength to get through the days when the haters were being extra hateful or some, a piece of advice you could pass on to somebody that's a teenager who's struggling? Yeah. I think the most important thing that I I wish someone would have told me then, but I have learned it so much more in my adult life, but it's the, in this, I believe Dion von Versenberg said this, but maybe she got it from someone else. I'm not sure, but she's the one who said it to me, which is the most important relationship you'll ever have is your relationship with yourself. And yes, we're social people and yes, we want validation. And, you know, yes, we have to interact with other folks all the time, but your relationship with yourself is the only constant thing you are going to have. So being comfortable and in a space of acceptance and love with yourself is so important. And in history, we can find people who have found that love and acceptance against all odds, like through history. So, and the reason I say that is because the feeling of like, as Antony would say, terminal uniqueness or that no one else has suffered through this before. No one else could have ever possibly made it through this before. How am I going to be able to do this? Which to me is like a metaphor for like my backflip. Like I'll, I'm never, because it, right. it feels so impossible when you're that afraid of something and knowing that other people have made it through, I think is such a unifying strength giver. So I would say that, but someone else can tell you that they believe in you all day long and tell you how much you can do it and tell you how much they believe in you. But if you don't believe in yourself, I mean, it's nice. The support from other people is nice. The validation can be nice, but there's a lot of stuff that's nice that makes you feel like shit afterwards. If you aren't there for yourself, honey, that's where the rubber meets the road. So it's all about focusing on our relationship with ourselves. And the other thing I would maybe say is like, your life needs to have a mission statement. And if you don't need to tell anybody what it is, but if, if your decisions aren't in service of that, like if you're a teenager right now and you're really unhappy and you are in a, in a location that does not understand you, does not support you. And so your ultimate goal is, is you want to like, also too, by the way, I am fucking do this. I did not do this when I was a teenager, but I wish I would have. Um, I mean, so many, you know, you don't go through some of the stuff that I went through because you made good choices the whole time. Um, but I would say that it's like, if, if some of the decisions that you intersect with aren't in service of like what your, like what your ultimate goal is, don't do it. Like maybe don't do it. But I didn't know what my goal was because I was so insecure and like not confident. I didn't know what my possibilities were. So like, I was just really self-destructive, super duper self-destructive. Yeah. So I would say like, relationship with yourself. That is so important. And then also mission statement, knowing like what you want and like where you want to, where you want to go is really important. How did you figure that out? I feel like a lot of people don't even know where to start to come up with your mission statement. I knew why I, someone, my, a very smart producer friend of mine told me that we need to have mission statements because once I started experiencing all the success. I was like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm being pulled in so many directions. And then I started feeling like I was, I felt like my integrity was getting compromised and I didn't know like how to navigate all of this like newfound platform. And so that's like when I learned about mission statements and I was like, okay, this is like, makes it so much easier because you know, if I, if it doesn't fall in line with like, which my thing is, I think I want it like to leave people feeling smarter, like, and better, more smart and more empowered. That's like what my goal is. And so if it doesn't do that, then I'm like, I don't, I like try not to do it. Let's- 
let's pause for a moment to show some love to one of our show partners, Ritual. Hey friends, so we're talking all about fresh starts today and I'm kicking off the new year right with a rebooted morning routine. So every day, yes, I am back on my spinach smoothie after way too much chocolate during the holidays, but I've also started taking Ritual Essential for Women. So what's cool is that the team at Ritual obsessively researched the main nine vitamins that women need but are often lacking in our diets. So in one ritual capsule, you're getting folate, omega-3, vitamin B12, vitamin D3, iron, vitamin K2, boron, vitamin E, and magnesium. Too easy. So I take two capsules every morning, and what you'll notice right away is the mint flavor. So you don't get that fishy aftertaste often common with omega-3s. So Ritual is the subscription-based service that delivers multivitamins right to your door. They're also vegan, sugar-free, non-GMO, gluten-free, and allergen-free. These vitamins are honestly woke because if you go to their website, you can see where every single ingredient is sourced from, and I absolutely love that transparency. So better health does not happen overnight. And right now, Ritual is offering our listeners 10% off during your first three months. Fill in the gaps in your diet with Essential for Women, a small step that helps support a healthy foundation for your body. Visit ritual.com slash beauty to start your ritual today. That's 10% off during your first three months at ritual.com slash beauty. We'll link to that offer on our blog and in our show notes. Now back to today's chat. So bright spot in all the divisiveness that goes on is honestly your show Queer Eye because you are bringing people together and just, you know, bringing joy to everyone's life, you know, men, women, everybody like, you know, and all over the world now too. So tell us having done so many makeovers on that show, is there one that's particularly memorable? Or has there been like a post taping story that people might not know about? Oh my gosh, just so much. I, it's like kind of like like asking to pick one of your like favorite like babies or something. Yeah, um, I know. I love everyone so much on it. I feel like Wanda is someone who I think about a lot from season four because she had such a big transformation and she required so much trust to like do that haircut and talk about, you know, that's just like a really vulnerable thing for for people to talk about hair loss and really big dramatic haircuts and going really short for a woman. We know we're just talking about the binary and expectations. It's like so much expectations around like women and hair and what that means about your beauty. And so she was just so brave and amazing. And I, I love her and I'm so proud of her and she's just doing a great job. And Tammy's also someone who in Georgia from season two, I think she's season two, episode one. Um, I talked to her a lot. I talked to her kids. She's amazing. And I think she does so much through the community center that Bobby built for her outside of the church, which meant so much to her. And that was really special. I think also um, Kenny from Kansas City and he adopted Fab, his dog, and he's doing really well. And we talk about that in the episode, but I mean, he literally did trip and like absolutely like bust his head because Anthony like stepped on his shoelace accidentally. And that was like the most traumatizing thing I've other than getting my big toenail ripped off in season one. Yeah, those were the two worst things. Yeah. Bobby did rip my big toenail off, though. He did. It's it's true story. You know what? That's that's happened to me before, and it's unbelievably painful, and it never comes back. And you never... So I feel you. The only thing that was more painful than getting my big toenail ripped off was, like, the look on Bobby's face when he realized what he had done, though. (laughs) Oh! Like, seeing, like, how, like... And it was his birthday. It was, like... Mm. It was... 
such like a double whammy of like also multifaceted emotions to unpack. So, but I think the fact that Bobby and I lived through that and like we're as close as we are, I think is like a really gorgeous testament to our friendship. And I would also say this talking about in a beauty podcast, (laughs) most improved hair, like Mm. Bobby. Yes. Mm -hmm. Queen. This natural hair, the longer Mm -hmm. hair. I'm obsessed. So Mm -hmm. sensual, so sexy. All this (laughs) weird. I'm obsessed. Um, Also, I will say I was hot and bothered by Anthony's like quarantine buzz cut. That was unexpected. I was obsessed. I've also thoroughly enjoyed the grow out. He's looked amazing this whole time. Tan always just looks amazing no matter what he does. And actually Karamo really, like I love his skincare line that he did that is for bald people specifically. It's like for scalp care. His scalp SPF is amazing. It's called Mantle Men. He's so cute. And he used to like draw his hairline in, but then he stopped because he was like, I just like want to rock my natural self. And like, I don't need to like do all that. And it's just like, I love that he did that and his line's great. So I'm really, I, I love the boy so much and I miss him a lot. Yeah, I bet. You guys must have spent so much time filming all those seasons together. And so tell us, like, I I know you worked as a hairdresser and we were just talking about the show when they have that makeover moment. And I think we all know that feeling of getting like a great haircut and how dramatic it can be. Like if just say you come out of a breakup or something, I think they call it a breakover, you know, big chop. How do you keep that fire going? Of when? Of like after, once you get this makeover moment, like how do you keep that going? When you're walking down the street? Yeah. And you're swishing your hair around. Oh, because basically you're saying like once you have your breakover, you like get that rush of endorphins because you're like, fuck my new look is everything. I've never been hotter. And yes. then like, yeah. Okay. So that kind of happens to me too, because then like after you rock it for the first time, like the endorphins go away and then you feel let down and then you're like, yeah. oh my God, my hair doesn't all fit up on a ponytail anymore. <laughs> like I don't really know what to do. <laughs> I think it's about changing up the styling of your new look, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Don't mm-hmm. rock it the same way every day. What I really like to do when I want to feel like that fucking bitch and you just like get out of my way <laughs> I do my Chris Kardashian and what that is is my wet slick back gel look I you know people feel like they're gonna see like a blow dry and I'm like no hit him with a slick back hit him with like I'm an 80s model you don't even you don't even know what you're ready for I'm gonna hit you with a big old brow and a lot of like bronzer on my cheeks and my forehead like on my edges of my face with no blow dry and see what they think about that on zoom So obviously it's different too, (laughs) like, you know, in this like Zoom world versus like out in the world. But I do think the most important thing to figuring out a new look is like varying up your styles. And I feel like the most underutilized style in most people is, is that slick back because it's kind of like a daring, like Paris, like edgy, like women's magazine look. Like, you know, if it was Mm -hmm. Tyra America's Next Top Model talking, like, I feel like that slick back is not like Cosmo. It's more like Vogue. You know, it's more like high fashion. But there is a high fashion diva in all of us who can just put a little bit of gel in our hairline and slick it back and pop on a red lip and say, you know what? If you look at me wrong, I might use like six really large words that you aren't even going to like, not cuss words, like really articulate ones. Like, yeah, (laughs) you know, like that's what I feel like when I have my slick back. And then also putting it up, doing a half up, half down wave it, mm-hmm. straighten it, like just do different things to style your new look. Like to th- live with it a bit. Yes. Yeah. And switch yeah. it up a lot because yeah. that mm-hmm. will help delight you. Delight and surprise. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Do a delight and surprise. Okay. I want to get to the next question because we want to talk about self-care for a hot minute. And I know self-care, I think in the past couple of years, it was really 
kind of taking on a bit of like a marketing spiel. But now I feel like in 2020, people were like, no, we need this. Actually, self-care is legitimate and it's taking a moment for me. And I know that um, you've recently been named self-care ambassador. Did I get that right? For Biosance? So I guess if they told you that I was, then I guess I have. <laughs> no, I don't know. Or do you, you, you work with Biosance? I do. I mean, I think that, that is yes. the title. I just like didn't know, like... I'm so trained by like Netflix to like never spill the beans out anything. Cause like until I see it like on a press release, like in writing that like someone else said it, like that's when I'll acknowledge it. But until then I'm like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. There's no okay. it didn't, it didn't, I don't, I don't, did they tell you that? Or did I tell you that? Did you like, but no, I think that's fair to say. So yes. Okay. Okay. So you're working as a self-care ambassador for Biosan. So tell us what self-care means to you personally and how it can be a useful tool for just getting through the day to day. For me, I feel like what, where it really gets my nervous system in a good place for what I think about self-care. It's the idea that, you know, an action speaks louder than a word. So me actually taking like 10 minutes or 20 minutes, whatever I'm going to do on my skin, whatever I'm going to do on my face, obviously if I'm working, if I'm on camera, it's more than 20 minutes. But even on those days where like it's hair and makeup chair, before all that, like there was 20 minutes when I was like, which is like my, you know, shower and like putting on my skincare stuff where like I have some chill music on. I've done like a nice jelly cleanser. Like I like, I love to do a dry hands, dry face cleanser and then get in the shower. It's like more experiential. It's like, you know, my skin doesn't get squeaky clean from all the bubbles. I will come out and I, I layer every morning and night. Like I will do an eye cream, a serum, a moisturizer, eye patch, make my, after my coffee dance. And then when I get done with that, that's when I go in with my sunscreen and my makeup routine. And really like, up until the makeup comes out and sunscreen comes out, it's more like moon energy. And then once the makeup comes out, then I'm like going to turn on Beyonce and like, I'll have more fun, you know, but those 20 minutes of like really listening to my breath, like putting, it's like almost kind of a meditative practice of like rubbing my face. I'm jade rollering my face. Hmm. A lot of times lately I've been taking baths in the morning. Cause that's been a nice time for me to like, if I'm going to do a getting curious interview or if I'm researching something, I can kind of, go over what my plan is for the day in the bath. And then I get out, I put on my skincare stuff and then I can go, you know, about the day. So that turning in that time to like, instead of being stressed out by it, like Mm -hmm. finding a way to like slow down and find a little bit of joy in it really, really helps. And the other thing I think that I've really thought a lot about in these last few months about self-care is one of my episodes of getting curious. I got to interview Adrian Marie Brown, who's an incredible activist I love her. And I think one thing that was coming up for me when I was interviewing her is just, I was feeling fatigued and there was like, I'm doing so much activism and like so much like things that like you wouldn't even know about from me posting, but just I'm doing this zooming, I'm doing this consult, like this consulting thing. I'm like doing this board, that board. And it's like, I was feeling really burnt out. And when we were able to talk about, and also burnt out by the pressure of like my platform and feeling like this idea that I'm never doing enough. Like as I'm doing so much, I also at the same time feel like I'm not doing enough. I noticed that there was kind of this like like impossible standard that I was setting for myself. And so when I'm helping other people, I'm also helping myself. I'm not putting, it's actually like when I show up for others, that is showing up for myself. Much in the same mm-hmm. way when I slow down that 20 minutes in the morning to like put on my things with love and attention and like listen to my breath. And I will usually do that with a little bit of like a two to three minute sitting meditation before I even do any of that when I'm out of bed. 
It's usually like why I'm in such a good mood in the morning. So I do like three minutes of meditation. It's like, oh my God, it makes me so much like less of a nightmare. And yeah, so it's like the showing up for yourself that you're like, I want to make my community better. I want to be more engaged. And so when I think about it like that, then when I'm doing all those extra like advocacy things, I don't really feel burnt out by it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so really like just broadening what my scope of self-care is. I think I thought for a long time that self-care was numbing out. It was like, I'm going to turn my mm-hmm. phone off and like mm-hmm. watch like four hours of Shit's Creek and like eat some sweet mm-hmm. treats like that. But mm-hmm. like, I think I've just luckily had more time this year to think about like, oh, like, am I tapping out for self-care or am I like tapping in. And I think I have tapped in Mm -hmm. with a lot of my self-care over the years, but there was definitely another part that like worked its way in there that was actually kind of a tapping out Mm -hmm. um, that I thought was a self-care that now I'm, and, but not to say that like, I do need to turn my phone off and like watch telly for like six hours and not leave my house and not be monitoring socials and the news and and stuff. Like, so I'm not saying that that's Mm -hmm. never a thing, but like taking a walk can be self-care. Like that's one thing I learned Mm -hmm. after that conversation with Adrian is like, taking a long walk is self-care, going to figure skate. Mm-hmm. I feel good. When I, like sometimes I don't feel good after I like sit on the couch for six hours and yeah. like, like sometimes I do, but sometimes I don't. And right. yeah. so listening to my body about like, well, what would actually feel good? And like gardening came up as like a gigantic self-care thing for me in 2020. Cause like I got a backyard for the first time in my life and never thought I like was into gardening, but it really grounded me in a way that I was not, like ready for, but I was, but I was like, oh my gosh. Like I was like so excited to wake up and see like if my chili sprouted or like if my watermelons were okay. Yeah. I think finding something's like childlike joy that's not even a physical thing. It's not skincare. It's not hair care. It's not like testing the dice and air. Like, no, it's like childlike <laughs> joy, you know, because that's also, yeah. there's nothing that yeah. can replace like an internal glow of like someone who's connected to their to, to their self. Like we were talking about at the beginning of this, mm-hmm. like their centered self, like that glow is, mm-hmm. there is no skincare, no amount of biosense is going to like mm-hmm. make you have that glow. Oh, actually that is kind of a lie though. Okay. So I actually really do like, I know that I'm like a global self-care ambassador for biosense. I didn't mean to roll my eyes when I say that, but I literally like basically like only use biosense. I can count on like one hand, like how many other products I use for like other mm-hmm. things. And one of them is a bath soak. That's not biosense. One of them is my alginous blurring mm-hmm. primer I'm obsessed with, Cover FX Concealer. So I, after I do all my skincare, I do my alginous blurring primer. Then I, and I put a little bit of my Cover FX Concealer in the blurring primer. I make a little pool. Love it. Well, I put it on my face and then I use my Artiste brush to spread it out. Then on top of that, I come back with just my concealer. I hit my triangle. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> I'm blending. Then after that, oh, actually, I did just realize there's one other one that I forgot about. Then I use my bronzer. Um, and I actually am not sure what my bronzer is because it's my makeup artist Patty's. And I used to not be someone, I was like, I don't need bronzer. I'm like young and stunning. And I don't need bronzer. <laughs> then I realized that I actually do really need it for like, like for like my hairline and my cheeks, especially if I'm doing my Kris Jenner, because when I'm doing my right. Kris Jenner, I slick all my hair back. And then I get this tan line from like when I do my center part. And then I call it my Bermuda triangle. Like this recession like becomes white. So I got like bronze out if I, if I am doing my slick back. So I do do that. But anyway, I was just going to say the thing that really like gives me a fake internal glow if I'm actually like, ew, I didn't take enough time for myself and I'm kind of feeling burnt out and I feel like I might cry if someone like looks at me the wrong way, but I can't afford Mm -hmm. to look like that because like they're expecting like the JVN that they like, you know, of their Mm -hmm. dreams. Then I do my Mm -hmm. Biosense Vitamin C 
rose facial oil because that vitamin C, honey, mm. let me tell you something. If your family member pissed you off, if some if someone said something homophobic or fucking racist and, and like you had to come, like you had to use your white privilege to explain something, but then it got you hot and bothered because Mm -hmm. of the ignorance that we continue to boil in. I will sometimes realize that, you know, I can't necessarily talk about that on my next interview. And, you know, maybe they don't want to hear that rage from me. So then I'm like, instead of using my tea tree detox plus squalane oil, or it's it's the tea tree plus squalane, because typically that was the Biosense oil that I'm obsessed with finishing with because it has a hemi-squalane, which is half the size and of the normal squalane. And I'm someone who's like been into layering in the last three, like two, three years. And so I just noticed that sometimes if I was finishing with the vitamin C oil, like it just like took like 25 minutes for it to like soak in before my alginous primer mm-hmm. and like before my makeup. And I was like, who's got all that time? And I just noticed the tea tree oil, like just five seconds. And like, it's just... <gasps> it soaks in faster, but that vitamin C (laughs) rose oil, it literally like puts like, like you met the love of your life. Once you've used it for like two days and then you can like enter switch with the tea tree or the vitamin C one, it puts this like glow of like, you know, like really religious people sometimes like have like that cult glow like that. Like it's, you know, cause that's like, that's like even worse. Well, I don't mean worse. It's there is just like this cult glow that I've seen before where it's like the believer glow. Yes. And, but that's, <laughs> but I think it's like a false centered, like there is like a happy centered self glow, but then this is like a more scary one, but honey, who doesn't want, like, I would love that glow, but without like the mental repercussions of, and like the family <laughs> fall out of all of it and stuff. But uh-huh. that like after two days, it does give you that glow. And ever since I started using my vitamin C plus rose oil plus squalane, like the little baby pink one, I always mess up the names because there's like, there's so many in my head of Biosans mm-hmm. terms. But anyway, that vitamin C plus rose oil is next level. And it really does give you such a glow, even if you're the Grinch, honey. I really feel like <laughs> it just, it does. It just, it's a great product. It really yeah. is amazing. I love a skincare item that can like make me look like I didn't have a bad night's sleep. Yes. Something that I want to touch on because it is the beginning of a new year when we're talking to you and a lot of people are still dealing with imposter syndrome. I know you touched on it a little bit earlier yourself. I think even with all the successes and feeling pulled different ways and opportunities coming to you that maybe you didn't even think were going to um, land in your lap, but they did. And how do you deal with that little voice in our head? I think everybody has it at one point or another, and certainly our listeners will be able to relate. Like, how do you sort of take tamp that down or contend with it, I guess, and, um, move forward in the world. Kind of like that very, the, when we were saying at the beginning, it's like, we can be really confident about something, but then be insecure at the same time. So when I have mm-hmm. that little voice that comes up and another thing, I like not to keep, but I talk about internal family systems or like parts therapy in, in the book a lot. And that's kind of what I was talking about in the beginning of our conversation, which is like, the thought process behind that is, is that like, we're all born into the world as like this like perfect little centered self baby. Like you come out and you're like this perfect little bean, you're this bundle of joy and you're so cute and you're so perfect and stuff. But then as like that little perfect centered self bundle of joy experiences trauma in the world, you know, we're born into this society that's like, we were, you know, misogynistic, sexist, racist, transphobic, you know, homophobic. There's a lot of great things about our society. There's also a lot of stuff that's really difficult and really problematic. And, you know, no one really teaches you any of those things until you've like learned it for yourself. So 
you're going to have a part. Parts doesn't mean that you have multiple personality disorders. It doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. It just means that like that little centered self baby, we have to learn different parts so that that centered self can move through the world. So we can handle the trauma that we incur. You know, like one of my parts is I have a people pleaser. I have another part that really likes to work, 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 work. I have another part that kind of, but that I've, I've learned about those parts and I've been able to identify them in myself Mm -hmm. from years of therapy and being like, Oh, like my people pleaser is really active right now. Or like a BZB, you know, whatever is going on for me. Like I need to like, whatever, whatever. But even in those parts, there's a little bit of centered self. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's in the moment when you're really like having that voice that's like, oh, I don't feel like I'm good enough to do this. Like they don't believe me. I don't even believe in myself. Like how are they going to believe what I'm trying to sell them or whatever that voice of of insecurity is in your voice? You can literally in your body, like like with your centered self, be like, and even if you don't feel your centered self that much, and that's just like when I think about like the fake it till you make it of it all. Even if you don't feel that super confident, if you don't, even if you don't, you can't locate where you feel the confidence, like in your body, you can like say to yourself, like to that insecure part in your brain, like literally you can like physically turn your body to it, like go into the bathroom and be like, look, I understand like why you're feeling like this right now. And I under like, but like, you can't be driving the car of my life right now. Cause like, you're probably going to fuck something up and I love you so much. And I know you're just trying to help, but actually I can do this. I've worked really hard to do this for a long time. And even though you're like, but I hear you and I thank you for helping, but I need to get in the back seat because centered self has it, you know? And even if you do that and you're still like, I'm feeling fairly unhinged. I don't know if any of my part, I don't know if I'm actually feeling more calm, but can I tell you something? I have never not once done that exercise. I have never not one time done that exercise on my own in a bathroom, been like, oh, I need five minutes and gone away and done that and ever come back in the same mood. I have never not once done that and not shifted and and been able to get, if that feeling of insecurity or doubt was like at a 12, I have never done what I just said I did and had it not go down to a place where I could manage it. Like, you know, to a four or a three or like get through the day and then, you know, and figure it out. So it's like there, I think that for me, I've, my whole life, I've struggled with like very black and white thinking. I'm pretty sure everything is a gray. I'm pretty sure like white's going on all the time. I think black's going on all the time. I think that like everything is actually like, a lot of things are happening at similar times. And so it's like just being able to slow down enough to like, like be the parent that we didn't have. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's also something, you know, you're talking about your kid. I talk about this in my book so much is this idea that like, we don't teach our kids how to self-soothe. Like we so often like teach our kids, like mm-hmm. what the parent thinks you should be doing. Like, or what, you know, worked for them. It's like, I don't know anything about you or your kids. But I just, I talk about that in the book a lot yeah. about this idea that like, we have to teach our kids what I literally just said, how to self, like how to talk to yourself. Like, I understand that you might have a part that doesn't feel like, you know, mm-hmm. and it, like for me, I mean, I was bullied so badly. Like I didn't have a part that knew how to talk to myself positively. Like I internalized all that for years and like thought it was true. Like I didn't have like a part that was in there that was like, yeah, that's not true what they're saying. I think that's why I worked so hard to like make cheer and get so good at hair and get so good also that I would be accepted and stuff. Like I didn't really learn that centered self was there until like, I kind of lost everything. And I don't want everyone to have to lose everything for them to know that they were like actually worth being loved and accepted and celebrated, like literally the whole time. 
Thanks for listening. You can find details on every product mentioned in today's episode, along with our exclusive promo codes on our blog at breakingbeautypodcast.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our newsletter. Every episode will be delivered directly to your inbox so you won't miss a single thing. And get social with us. Let us know what you think of the episode. You can follow us on Instagram at breakingbeautypodcast. And did you know we also have a private Facebook group? Just search Breaking Beauty Podcast chat room. You can even leave us a voicemail at any time with questions or feedback at 1-844-227-0302. And don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast fix. Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts, where you can show us some love by writing a review. See you next Wednesday. Wednesday.